In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. What separates the good dads from the average dads? What's the difference between an average dad and a great dad? Is it a fluke or do they know something that you don't know or have they developed certain habits, certain secrets that help them to excel above the rest? Find out on today's episode. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, your host and guide to your best version in the stress bubble of life and beyond. Welcome to Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. So as you know, we are gathering 365 hero stories, one hero story a day. A hero story is a story of transformation, whether that happened in your own personal life or if you've witnessed it in the man that you know and love. So this week's hero story comes from Hot Mess Empty Nest on TikTok. She writes in and says this, you've helped me to see just how blessed I am to have a husband who is the man you suggest men should aspire to be. How blessed I am to love him. I would add to you, hot mess, empty nest. Make sure you tell him that. Man, when you affirm your man, women, it goes a long, long way. So thank you so much. Hit us up at info. Hit us up at info at manarena.org. We want to send you some swag just to say thank you for being one of our fans in the arena. Hey, make sure you stay tuned to the end of this podcast for our weekly man law, comes out, which comes out of my book, Man Laws, 101 Ways to Get Your Man Card Revoked and Rules to Live By. This is a free ebook for you guys. This is a very well put together book. You're going to love this resource. It's a fun way to just hang out with your guys and go over these man laws together. Uh, and it is a gut buster. So we have got a great one for you today. Guys, thanks again, men, for making this Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. I'm excited today to have our guest on the show, Dr. Ken Canfield. So he's married, if you know, he's also married to Michelle Can Watson Canfield 
a.k.a. the Dad Whisperer. We've had her on the show a couple times. Dr. Ken Canfield is a nationally known leader, scholar, and a founder of National Center for Fathering. Ken has testified to the National Commission of Children, served as founding member of the Father to Father Initiative and the National Fatherhood Leaders Group. He's been recognized for his leadership and was rewarded the Father of the Year by the National Congress for Men and Children. He's authored 12 books, including The Heart of a Father, They Call Me Dad, and The Seven Secrets of Effective Fathers, which is our subject of today's discussion. Ken, it's great to have you on the show. Jim, I'm all in, men in the arena. Listen up, because we're going after your fathering heritage and your fathering presence, if you're there right now. Well, I'm really excited to get into this. Uh, why don't we start with this? Let's. Why don't you tell your story a little bit about makes what makes you tick, uh, and just just so our guys can get to know you a little better. Yeah. Well, the real deal is in 1980, my oldest child was born. Something happened in me. You know, when I was born, my dad dropped my mom off at the hospital, and of course, separated from my mom. He goes smoking cigars in a hospital. Can you get this picture? Now that was then. Then. We had things separate. We didn't have that attachment. And my dad, I don't think, really changed a diaper or anything. He didn't know what to do until I could throw a football or a baseball or do something like that. So when my daughter was born, Jim, it was powerful. I was a part of the birth process and all five children. So, guys, I'm in the arena just like you. We are fathers in the arena today. And so I've gone through the adolescent years sending kids off. All of them are married. And then, Jim, what happens? Your kids meet other kids. They have more kids. Now I'm a grandfather of 15. Whoa. Wow. So so no wonder you founded the National Center of Fathering. Holy cow. So, so you founded this in 1990, right? I did, yes. So talk to us about why you saw the need and tell us about the mission of your organization. Uh, got it. Okay, first, this is the deal. Back then, the mothering literature was seven times deeper than the fathering literature. Fathers were looked at as unnecessary additions to the family. In fact, noted anthropologist says fathers are a biological necessity and a sociological accident. Can you believe that? They didn't know what to do. And you see what the feds did, unfortunately, they undercut marginalized minority men. What? They rewarded women having children with extra support and so forth, notwithstanding the need was there, but it sent a message, you're not needed. Hey, go father another child over there and there'll be more money coming in. So we have this, what I call fractured culture that misses the role of a father. Now, in the 80s, they started to realize, hey, dads do have a role. The 90s, you see fathers starting to step up. And then what I saw, Jim, was fathering being the best of times and the worst of times. We had dads doing things like you, I, and just trying to do our best that were never done in past generations. And we had fatherlessness at its worst. I'm telling you, abuse, abdication, absence, all that stuff. So in the midst of this, Jim, I thought, I got to bring some research to the forefront. So I began in a PhD program looking at the unique things that fathers did that mothers didn't and why we needed them. 
That's so good. Well, your work has been monumental. Uh, your writings have been amazing. I've really appreciated what they've meant to me as a father. And I want to dive into this book, The Seven Secrets of Effective Fathers. Now, I, I love this because it's like, hey, guys, listen, these it implies that not everybody knows this stuff. This isn't. Uh, this is not assumed. This is something that men have to dive into. Why did you uh, write this book and title it the way you titled it? Okay. Now I gave myself over to my publisher to title it. What I would title it is the seven traits of effective fathers. So this is what I did. I looked at ten thousand fathers and I analyzed them, and then I got a select group of particularly effective fathers. Now. These fathers weren't just fathers of two and three-year-olds, Jim. These were fathers that had gone through the life course. You know, uh, feeding a toddler peanut butter and smiling is different than a teenager that's dealing with all these issues. So I looked at these fathers who were also nominated by other leaders in their community as particularly effective fathers, but I didn't stop there. I sent an extensive survey to their adult children and to the mothers that partnered with these fathers. And then out of the data, these seven traits emerged. Now my publisher said, ah, we got some sexy here. Let's call them secrets. But it's really common sense and truth. But you have to drill down to get the gusto, the muscle of what these fathers did that was distinct. And that's where the seven secrets come from. And as you noted, Jim, there's a profile in the book where you can take and assess yourself how you're doing compared to these seven traits. And I got something just for men in the arena. Okay, listen up. You can go to fathers.com. You go to the top of the page, you click, and I've got the seven secrets profile you can take for free. And if you're a bold dude, get this, you can send a copy of it to your wife and have her take it on you. And if your child, you don't want to send it to a young kid, but if they're mature, you can even get feedback from them because what we need to do men in the arena is rear a generation of stellar fathers. And that's where I'm at. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And there, these guys are hungry to be the best version in Christ of the dads are called to be. So in your book, uh, you know, we're still in single digits of your book. You start talking about some truths about fathering. What are some truths that you that you want to tell these guys? Hey, guys, these are some truths that you need to know about fathering. Okay. The basics, anybody knows. Acorns don't far fall from the tree. Uh, you're a chip off the old block. So a predecessor to these secrets and traits are, is really this. How is your relationship with your father or lack of a dad influenced your fathering? I used to tell guys regularly, you can't be the father you really want to be until you're first the son. And you got to reconcile maybe the accumulation of generational dung. That's right. That has come into your family system. You deep with that and you are going to come alive first of all because you're a generational change agent and your children are going to benefit so sifting through how do you think your father influenced you what do you wish you would have done more with your father what are those voids and how did you fill them because as men we need the blessing of a father 
whether it's a heavenly one or an earthly one, and you get into the surrogate fathers, maybe a grandfather filled in, maybe an older brother or uncle, but we as men have a void, a father void in our psychic and in our soul. And we need that filled if we're going to excel in these traits that we're going to outline. Yeah, I appreciate that. We need to look back to our our fathers. So what about this? I'm listening to the podcast. I'm saying, hey, this must be becoming an effective father. You know, God made us to, to be good fathers. This must be by default. So effective fathering must be easy. What would you speak to that? No, it's a skill. Okay, there's an art in it. There is a genetic heritage that you receive from your father, no doubt about it. And when I talk about dealing with those issues, I'm talking about issues related to behavior, issues related to his example, issues related to his problems. And what you are doing is kind of clearing the deck. And that is where, and and Jim, I've done this for 30 plus years. I know of no other way to clean the deck then get the healing, cleansing love of another father. Guys, all fathers make mistakes. Fathers fail. But the mark of the father is that what you do after you fail. And if you've got a heavenly father saying, I got you, man, I'm with you. In fact, I know your children better than you, and I have given you you the privilege to steward them then that opens you up to spiritual insights that are prophetic, that are powerful, that can guide you. Now, all the skills are important, but the most important thing is that open heart. And when that is there, these secrets become alive because in many ways, they're what should be done and by design can be done through you as the father of your children, whether you're divorced whether you're a custodial dad, whether you're in a difficult situation right now, God has really empowered you to be that guy. That's where the hope is. It's really interesting, Ken. I was actually a guest on a podcast this morning. Uh, this guy's a great ministry. He's a 32-year-old man, and he asked me the, the question about uh, fear and that his generation of men has a real fear of messing up. And, and I basically answered exactly what you just said. Like, we can't focus on the fear. That'll paralyze us. That'll hinder us. That'll uh, produce children that are not equipped. But we need to focus on our Father in Heaven and that He has called us to steward these children into their best version in Christ. So you really affirm some things I was saying earlier today. What about training? Where does training come into fatherhood as one of the truths that we're talking about to these dads? Well, as men, we know if we're in a war and we're in a spiritual war, we need to be trained. We need to know the equipment and we need to know the enemy because the enemy is a father to Jim. He's a father of lies. He is a father of fear. He is a father to to second guess you and to bring shame and guilt that may be generationally packed into your system. So, In this training, you've got to do a couple of things. First, a man without a small group is an accident waiting to happen. You guys, listening to men in the arena is the first step. But you know what you need to do? Do men in the arena in your community and church. And listen to the podcast together 
or listen separately and get together and hammer out through vulnerability and transparency. Yeah, I'm saying it's time to pull back the curtain. And that takes bravery to do. But I'm going to tell you this. You're not alone. Every father that is honest knows he has issues that need to be reconciled and exposed in a healthy way so healing can come. And so this training that you mentioned can be done in a number of ways. Certainly, you can read a book. You can listen to this podcast. You can get with other men. But you got to get out in the life of your child with other dads. One of the best things that uh, I was able to be a part of is getting a watchdogs program going in local schools. And this came from the school shootings years ago in the 90s in Arkansas. So dad said, we got to do something. Things are out of control. So these watchdogs, dads of great students showed up and they were an unobtrusive security presence. And this is what happened. When dads showed up, they were the example to the kids in the elementary school. And it was awesome. The teachers and the administrators know, noted, hey, this is good. Can you come more often? And these heroes in the hallway started to show up in numbers. And there's a little over 5,000 schools that have kind of fathering friendly programs. Dads, that's a place to get training too. your church community. Now, this is an area that really needs attention. We need in every faith community, a group of guys saying, hey, fathering is one of the things God put me on the planet for and keeps me alive. Well, if you get together, you need to be not just uh, open, but aspiring to apply things that you know are important. For instance, if your dad has never told you he loved you, which Jim, you and I know is a majority of men. How are you going to learn that unless you're with other men who have experienced that, that or who are like you, explorers and learning to say that? And I just believe that skill training and so critical and what you're doing is vital to the uh, nurturing of this fathering movement. That's so good, man. I sure appreciate that. Well, guys, what sparked me here, Ken, was I just released a book called Help. I'm a small, I'm starting a men's group. So guys, that is a free resource on our website. You can also click the join our program button now and get plugged into a community of men who have your back. So I want to dive deep into these seven things because I want to spend the majority of our time together because these are really monumental. So you you start listing these on page 29 and secret number one, I'm just going to tell you what they are just so you don't have to worry about you know flipping pages or remembering, which you probably already have it down. I got it down. <laughs> That secret number one is commitment. You, Am I right, Jim? You, yes, actually, it's consistency. No, I'm just kidding. Yes, commitment. And so you talk about when I when I think of commitment, I think of the boring nature of good dads, like they just are always there, always showing up. Yeah. And you said this. You said commitment has two parts: dedication and then commitment. Can you talk us through commitment? Yeah. The two parts are, first of all, dedication. Number one, what are you dedicated to? Are you dedicated to your job? Good. Uh, have you written a fathering plan for your children? Hopefully. There are things that we're dedicated to. We're dedicated, those that are American citizens, to this country, upholding the values. My oldest son, he was in the military, wounded in Afghanistan. His commitment hit 
the dirt and the line. Now, the other part of commitment is constraint. What are you not going to do so you don't get lost in the other stuff that's out there? And this constraint is, you know, making good choices. I'm going to say no to taking three strokes, three strokes off my golf game because my kids are teens and I need to be at their wrestling or volleyball or whatever. I'm going to sacrifice. And so this commitment really has its core in that same word that was ushered to the, the, the God that became flesh. When he heard his father say, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased in, listen to him. I'm talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. And so what we have is commitment. And that's why, Jim, I'm so into what you're doing. Because, I mean, I can write stuff that is boring, is important, but yet it's got to have spiritual depth. And when we tap into that, that's the commitment that will survive and be our legacy, living that out. You know, it's interesting. I grew up with a dad who didn't say I love you until I was 32 years old. He handed me a knife. He said, here, son, I love you. And, and, I, and I thought, I'm never going to be that dad. I have a good dad. But he never did that. And then over the course of the, of the t- uh, years of raising my children, we said I love you so much it became boring. They started forcing my dad to say it, and now my dad and I say it until it's boring. So it does flip full circle. When I when I think about commitment being about dedication and constraint, I think of that that component of of uh, of the man who doesn't do certain things so he can be dedicated to other things. So I, in fact, on your in your book you wrote, constraint brings out a sense of obligation. It, it flips you back over to dedication, yeah, correct? Absolutely. And let me just say, related to commitment, I salute right now the fathers who have special needs children. The work that you do are beyond what Jim and I know. God forbid that it brought that to your house, but your commitment, I see it and I'm thinking they're the real heroes. In fact, if I get to heaven before you guys, I'm nominating you for the Congressional Fathering Medal of Honor because guys who give it up when they have a special needs child. And right now, Jim, the data says 13 percent of children born are in that space. So we got to honor these guys. That's commitment at the highest level. Well, and it goes back to your book on page 40. You said real fathering commitment is expressed in day-to-day activities. And that's what you're saying. Are you dedicated? Are you are you dedicated to doing something? Are you constraining? Uh, are you are you constraint practicing constraint? In other words, I'm not going to do these certain things. And really, uh, fathering comes down to these day to day activities. What are some of these day to day activities that you think that we as dads should engage with with our children? Well, the first thing you're going to ask your child if they're in the school age, how did it go at school today? And as my wife says brilliantly, if they're kind of taken back because they're a teenager, you just add two words in the front. You say, I'm wondering, how did it go to school to, at school today? So it's your involvement in that uh, part of their life, which is big. Now, if you're homeschooling them, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> and you got to deal with that. And that's a different sort of fathering flavor. But it's an important one and a tasty one at that. 
Now, beyond that, your schedule should be looked at and analyzed. You should look at what's called the language of love, which children spell T-I-M-E. Don't tell me I'm given quality time. Well, baloney. You don't get quality time till you get quantity time. And so it's that putting those two. And remember, having reared children, and they're all gone now. And I don't know where you are, Jim, but all I can just say, blink, and it's gone. It happens so fast. So these times are sacred that you have. So your time, your schedule, the commitments to activities and so forth, those are key things that really measure your commitment. Yeah, and that's right. There, measure your commitment. Commitment is not some philosophical thing out here. It is a measurable, it is a metric that is measured on the day-to-day things that we do with our children. I really appreciate that last comment. Well, let's move on to secret number two, knowing your child. So when you say knowing your child, what does that actually mean? Well, the knowledge of your child in their world, your awareness of what's going on in their life is critical. It's that knowledge that will lead you to understand issues or things they're dealing with that they may not talk about. So knowing your child, first of all, I'd love to interview the Ramos children. (laughs) I'd tell you everything about Jim if you give me 30 minutes with them. I would say, what do you love about your dad? What do you see that, you know, your dad is different than you because you need that contrast. Knowing your children means knowing their personality, their giftedness, their vocational aptitudes, how they're doing in school. But it doesn't stop there. And I'm not suggesting that we institute the FBI, the Fathering Bureau of Investigation. (laughs) But I'm telling you, we got to check everything that's going on. Who are their friends? How are they spending their money? What are they doing with their float or free time? How are they excelling or being challenged in an area and even knowing their fears? So this knowledge of your children leads you to know those people, the teachers, the coaches, how their mother. And and let's just talk here for a moment. Divorce or separation is increasingly growing. You've got to have a winsome attitude such that you can know how your son or daughter is dealing in this situation and that. And I don't care what happened. Your knowledge and awareness will build that heartfelt connection to them if it's pursued with a calmness and care that they know my dad just wants to know. Not control, he just wants to know. I appreciate that last statement, not control, because we're not talking. Guys, listen, we're not talking about being a bulldozer dad who's knocking down all your kids' problems. We're not talking about a helicopter who's hovering. We're talking about page 58 of Ken's book where Ken writes, he studies them and their world like a gardener studies a mulched garden. That's what we're talking about. We're studying them. Now, in your book, you you talk about kind of a way, there are kind of two ways to really study this and get to know our children. One is general, one is specific. Can you unpack that for us? We know developmentally kids go through stuff. We know the internet, the the, the iPhone, uh, any media device. We know those things are coming. We know what's being fed in those areas. So we need to have 
general guidelines and boundaries that we establish if we know our children, if we want them to excel in a way that perhaps we didn't. But then the specific things is some of you are nurturing leaders that are going to go do things that you as a dad never knew. And that's where you get into that nuance. Uh, what do we know about how they are particularly gifted in this area and, or that area, whether it's athletically, musically, or so forth? And so those are things that you have to pick up the specifics so that you as a dad can make things happen because that's what dads do. They make things happen. So we need the general and the specific in order to really know our children the way that they need to be known and respected because this is dignity that you as a dad are breathing into their life. So the general, knowing the general about our children, does that go back to rigorous training that we as men need to plug in? Yeah, yeah, it does. Because the general stuff, you know, you were a kid once. You knew the things that you had to go through. You knew the peer pressure. You know, the negotiating with the opposite sex. You knew when you failed, how you handle it. You knew when you lied or maybe stole or did something that wasn't appropriate. Uh, those things they're going to have to deal with. But the specifics is following them, not expecting them to uh, just not have a connection with you as a dad, as someone who's been there. And that is how the specifics get played out and applied. Man, that's this is such... Guys, you are so blessed to be raising your kids right now, getting this information. I wish I had this stuff. This is good stuff. I'm, I could have had it. The book was out, but I never knew about the book. So that's on me until recently. So the secret number three, and this is to me, in my brain, I've had to mentally uh, sift through or cut away because number three to me and number one work very closely together. The first secret, of course, is commitment. The third secret is consistency. And you define consistency as briefly as i'm sorry you define consistency as the regularity and i love this word predictability uh, that is so good what do you mean by that well it's real simple okay you're spain and on the coast of spain you're going to take a trip at across the atlantic there there is a, a well-known reference point it's called the rock of gibraltar okay the rock of gibraltar has been there for generations and it will continue to be there unless there's some explosion or try to move it, which is not likely. You are sending out explorers and dad, you're the rocket Gibraltar. You're the consistency and the predictability by which they can explore their world and then come back home. You are allowing them a reference point of calmness, of discipline and guidance of things that they know uh, are, are important to their well-being because the world is jacked up. The consistency, you, you don't even know one day whether you can have the same value on your home or what a ca what cash is worth uh, than the next. Think of how all the crypto just melted down just like that. Dads who are consistent are those reference points. So the way you guide, shape, discipline, 
your children is a part, a sub part of consistency. One of the things I did that was so fun, Jim, I'd love to do it with your kids. I get them in a room. I got my kids. Okay, I will pay you guys uh, two bucks if you will do an imitation of me. Oh, my gosh. They, they like know my gestures. They know how I look. They know how I scratch my head. It was so convicting. But that's the sort of things that really give a sense of rootedness. So, you know, what do your children know about that consistent behavior or that consistent life or the habits? Uh, do you get up and do you read your Bible? Do you get up and say a blessing over them? Do you go to church and not crucify the, the message that has just been spoken? Uh, are you critical of others? Kids are looking for those consistent reference points because there's security and safety in that. I'm laughing because <laughs> if you only knew my family, I'm going to ask them to imitate me. They're going to go crazy doing that. They're going to love because we love to banter and joke back and forth. They are going to love that. I love what you wrote on page 80 in your book. You said, uh, you said, it is crucial that as parents be that as parents, we are consistent people. Regular and predictable in their person and their actions. Children need to know what to expect, where they can find you. And this applies to your moods, behaviors, and schedule. Now that, when I read that, a sense of conviction came over me. Because I, when I when I go back and reflect on my fathering, I, you know, because I've identified a couple areas I wish I would have improved on. And the first one you talk about on page 85, and, you, and I'm just calling it stability. And for me, it was the emotional stability. Let me read what you wrote. You said, when a child of a consistent father interacts with his dad, the child... One, knows what to expect. Two, there are few surprises. Three, no scares. An effective father is four, consistent in his person. And five, his actions. A consistent father governs his moods. Inconsistent fathers are emotionally erratic. And I look back on my fathering, and I'm just being, I try to be real with these guys listening. I, because of exhaustion, I oftentimes was emotionally erratic. I think that that would, my children would identify that as a potential flaw in my consistency. Is there anything else you'd like to add to stability? Well, I just want to provide some counsel to the leader of men in the arena. <laughs> uh, when you screw up, say, I was wrong and apologize. Yep. Okay, so you blow up and you're angry and you get ticked off at this and that. And then when you come back and you consistently apologize, what the Ramos kids are getting is a heritage of humility. Yep. Now, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze Jim. God's <laughs> in a better uh, place than I. Yep. But when you fail in consistency, own up to it and say, hey, I tried my best. This is what I'm learned. I'm, uh, I've learned since. I'm so sorry. But just count on this. When you have kids and you become a dad someday or a mom I'm going to be the best grandparent possibly because I wasn't the perfect dad, but I know you're going to be a better mom or a better dad. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Uh, I learned a phrase years ago that has served me well, fix it. So I have found that fixing it. So I, I will tell you a funny story. I interviewed all of my children and my wife. I said, give me one thing that when you think of me, what's my greatest strength? 
which I was, you know, you know, like here are the nails and the hammer. You know what I mean? My youngest son said sacrificing myself for family. My wife said my integrity. My middle son said determination and bench press. <laughs> my uh, my oldest son said work ethic. Then my daughters in love said protecting the family and dedicated to the problem at hand. So I thought that was interesting. But I am going to ask them to imitate me, and I'll send you the yeah, video, Ken. It will be. I'll post oh, it on man. social media. It'll so yeah. Stupid. You need to put. You need to put a microphone in front of them. You're on men in the arena. Imitate me in 30 seconds, and the best imitation gets 50 bucks. My youngest son, Colton, I can already see it. Pray about it. Pray about it. Pray about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's his imitation. So, so, so yeah, not only yeah. is the not only is a consistent dad stable emotionally uh, uh, and in his person, his character, but you said he pra- he practices what he preaches. And I, and I just read two days ago in Ecclesiastes 5.7, New Living Translation, where Solomon simply wrote, talk is cheap. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. So talk to us about the importance and value of doing what we say and saying what we do. Well, two things. And I just, this comes to mind as we're talking. I've had countless stories after a divorce has occurred, a son or a daughter waiting for their dad to come pick up, pick them up, and he doesn't come. Now he's dealing with his own emotional stuff. Maybe his wife left him for another guy. I don't know. Things are really messed up. But then he fails to be consistent. And so what happens there is this: Who can I count on? My dad doesn't show up. My dad doesn't follow through. So what is key? And the line that I think you're taking is. Integrity in the end is what will distinguish you when it relates to consistency in your fathering, your family life, your marriage, and in your faith. Now, it is hard to be consistent, you know, doing the same thing over and over. Uh, Let's just talk about uh, what happens when you take communion. Uh, Do you really Stop and think, somebody just died for me. His name's Jesus. This is his sacrifice. This represents his blood that cleanses me and his body, which is going to be a part of my resurrection as I come. And consistency is not just going through the motions, but it's doing it with a sense of depth and humility and The fact that uh, we can take uh, assurance in God is the same. Our Father is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is endowing us with not a perfect, but a plan to be consistent if we're hooked up to Him. I just love. I just love this concept, Ken, of consistency. I just, I just love this concept. We live in a world where. Uh, if men just would step up consistency, that'll solve a lot of our issues. I want to move on to secret number four. And s- secret number four would be kind of an obvious one, I think, for a lot of guys. But I do appreciate mm-hmm. you take a little bit different twist on it. And it is protecting and providing. And you wrote, our culture has the past few decades has, our culture for the past few decades has perhaps overemphasized the role of father as financial provider. But the effect of father says, while financial provision is not my only role, it is a role and one I consider important. So so what are some, when you think of provider, what do you think of besides the financial component? 
provider is making sure the basic needs are met. You don't have to worry about the bells and whistles. Forget uh, the Disney World and all the elaborate stuff. In uh, the uh, 1930s, when we were hit by a major depression, <clears throat> a guy named Glenn Elder did a magisterial study of families of the depression. And this is what he noted, Jim, looking in the San Francisco, Oakland Bay area, those families that were particularly hard hit when fathers were there and shared the challenge together with their family that we're going to have to hunker down. I don't know how we're going to make it. I may have to go work here and there and just do it. When those families had the acknowledgement of a dad that's saying, my provision is based on something bigger. I'm going to do the best I can. And you compare those to families that were flush, that didn't have, you know, the problems and challenges. They were in a, a secure financial setting uh, and place. Those children of what you would say the need base ended up. 20 and 30 years later to be more well-adjusted than the ones who had it all. So dad, in your provision, the simple fact that you work by the sweat of your brow, let it be known that you're doing the best with what you can, teaching budgeting principles and so forth, again, is one of the historic things. The, the thing that we've got to avoid, Jim, is think, the more provision we have, the better fathers we're going to be. Because you know what happens? We'll start buying our fathering. We'll buy this camp. We'll buy this particular car. We'll buy that. Not that buying things is bad, but you can't put your security there because it's all going to turn uh, to dust anyway. But it's that commitment in the daily way. That's the provisional way. And here's a simple thing. You know, a difference maker between families that have what I call solidarity, they eat together. That doesn't mean it's just so simple. You show up and eat as often as you can while your children are there in the same room. And you talk about the things that happened that day and you get into the interaction. And then you say, you know, at either at the beginning or in, May God give us his wisdom because this dad knows he doesn't have all the truth, but seeks my father, my heavenly father's wisdom for all of us. So that's the sort of provision that that is more than just the stuff. Yeah, I, th I really believe that our family breakfast for 20 years in the morning, five days a week, and what happened in our family from five o'clock at night till eight o'clock at night those two windows, a 20-minute window and a three-hour window, were game changers for us. Because we lived, we grew up, and our kids were in a full-time pastor's house, and the money was not. They were going to get rich doing it, so we had to find a way. Now, talk about when it comes to protection and provision, you spend a significant amount of time on crisis. So talk mm -hmm. to us about the why that is so important when we think about protection and provision. Okay, well, maybe you've seen the bumper sticker on the back of Jim's car or truck. It says, stuff happens, yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, okay. I knew you were going there. <laughs> okay, so this is the deal. Uh, crises occur. 
whether it's a crisis in your teenage daughter's life of not being accepted in a peer group or having a broken relationship or this or that, crises occur. Dads who are protective foresee potential crises and have action plans laid out. It's important in a basic way just to know what happens if you're living on the coast of uh, a island uh, if a tsunami alarm goes on. Now, you may say, well, that's the, the authorities' responsibility. Baloney. The authorities sometimes fail in their responsibilities, as we have seen. What we need to do is make sure what happens when you know we, we have a crisis and how do we deal with that? And this protective factor, I, I think, is so important because not only are we more vulnerable, but I mean, the whole world's weaponized. Uh, things can, can happen in an instant, just being wise and teaching them to have eyes that are wise. And, and there's protective factors that I list there in chapter four. Yeah, you had, you had uh, adopt a healthy attitude towards crisis, identify role models from whom you learn and deal with crisis, regain your confidence after crisis by enjoying the support of other fathers, understand your own foundation in times of crisis, talk to your children, and then maintain consistent discussion with your wife. So for me, uh, the bottom line is this. We need to get ahead of crisis. And the way I do it is I can tell you I'm a prepper and all that, which I am, but the way I do it is I pray every day protection over my kids and the mindset of, and my wife, of course, and the mindset of, of praying that prayer over my family is that I know my daughter in love is a type one diabetic. So I pray over that. I know another one has stomach issues. So I pray over that. I know the flaw. So you get ahead of it. So this is so good. Can I appreciate the protecting and provision? Let's, let's move down to secret number five. Now you talked about my bumper sticker. It actually says, I do have a bumper sticker. It actually says wife is greater than kids. It's about this big, and it literally says that. And when you drive a lifted Toyota Tundra with that bumper sticker, people take notice because that shouldn't be on the back of that truck. And so let's talk about secret number five. Tell us what it is and why you struggled to understand this secret. Of all the secrets, you say that you struggled with this one. Well, I struggled to see that this wasn't just a, a, a father guided, a dad guided thing. It was the dad recognizing this is the team. And, you know, with, uh, as I say, union with a woman, children are created. And hopefully that's a wife. But it's communion with that same woman that builds a household and a healthy family. Now, it's short-sighted, even though you may be a single custodial dad, not to respect and see the value that a mother of your child brought into your life. And to the extent that you can honor and respect and love her if you're living with her, that adds another layer of supernatural security to your child and their well-being. And that becomes a model, Jim, as well. You know, boys learn how to treat women by the way they observe their father treating their mother and vice versa. Uh, girls learn how to be treated 
by observing how my dad treated my mom. And so the need for us to model and make that uh, one of the highest priorities within your fathering portfolio is key. Because your mother, as the Puritans said long ago, is your eye to see with, your ear to hear with, and your hand to touch your children with when you're not around. And they will see things, hear things, and experience things that will only empower you to be a spot on dad. And that's why the conversation and the connection, I regularly spend time with uh, all of my uh, children's mom, uh, learning and listening to what's going on from her perspective, because she sees things that I don't. And that, I think, is one of those things that differentiated those effective fathers. So, again, let me just back up. I asked 10,000 men uh, a series of a couple hundred questions. I asked a smaller group of effective fathers who are identified by their peers and leaders. These guys are stellar. I talked to their kids. And when I analyzed the two, these seven traits surfaced. And one of the traits, it's not that the regular fathers didn't, you know, love their wives, but they did it, the effective fathers, to a significant greater degree. Well, you know, it's really interesting. So I just finished reading a book by Peter Scazzaro called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And the premise of his book really is spiritual leadership flows out of your marriage. Like he really emphasizes the marriage, and I think that's a that's a massive component. We have to realize that our marriage takes the highest priority because everything flows out of that. You said, and I love this what you wrote here on page one thirty eight. A strong marriage breeds security, and then you continued. You said, "Do you love guys?" If you haven't got this, secret five is loving loving your wife. <laughs> Loving your children's mother. Do you love your kids? Well, one of the best things you can do to love them is to love your mother, you write on page 134. The main benefit to your children of a good marital interaction between you and your wife is an atmosphere of security. Man, that, think about the stability of that. There's so much power in that in a world that is so fragmented and fractured. Yeah, you, you see marriage under fire uh, in a big way. And... Your gender uh, uh, contribution physiologically produce the gender of your child, be they son or daughter. So the connection that you have with the mother is so uh, important. It not only gives safety, but security in who they are as a young man, a young woman. And that, I believe, is ongoing because guess what? The children will grow up and leave. And if you haven't cultivated the marital bond, you don't want to see in your later years all of a sudden a split. Now, right now they're calling it the gray divorce, where people are just looking the other way. And for no particular violation, uh, they're just walking away. And what are the children to do, Jim? They're just saying, what, what? So cultivating that marital satisfaction and 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 the, the 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 delight that comes by having that wife that God has given you, the mother of your children, and it's going to get deep 
for richer, for poorer. That means for success or bankruptcy, in sickness and in health. You're vibrant, you, you run together, and one of you may die, as I've experienced, uh, in, a, in a way that you didn't expect. And so that's where marriage uh, becomes a hallmark to your fathering, a remembrance. Yeah, you know, I've been married 31 years, and I cannot tell you how many of my peers are really struggling in their marriages and divorcing. And it comes back to not making the marriage the center of that. You know, Jesus is the center, and the marriage is that inner ring. And the kids are not more important than the marriage. The marriage is more important. And one of the things I push back on all the time, Ken, I know you do too, is I'm pushed back very hard on this concept of this is my partner, even though it's a spouse. No, that's not your partner. You know, your partner is not a business partner. I think it's it's a it's our culture's way of saying I can be a man on man partner, woman on woman partner, you know, furry on man partner. And what I'm saying is no, none of that is none of that is true. What is true is man woman, husband wife, not your partner. This is not a contract. This is a covenant. Now you said there's an added benefit though. I'm gonna these guys. So there's an added benefit in your book. You talk about hey guys, listen. Because we as guys, we want to know, hey, give, give us a, a solution. Help us to solve our problems. You know, we're fixers. You said, guys, there's another reason why wives are critical in understanding how you can be a better father. And you you threw a couple kind of low-hanging fruits here, and low-hanging fruit, and one of them is your wife will give you additional data about your children. And, and then you, I'm just going to list these off so the guys have, and you can address them. Number two, your wife will give you a different perspective of your children. And number three, your wife, and they do this very well, will give you tips on how to improve your parenting skills. Do you want to encapsulize that? Yeah, and that is why I think this connection just makes you a better father. So take her and give her the rest and the support that she needs so that she can thrive in her mothering because thriving mothers produce thriving fathers and thriving fathers produce thriving mothers. And you get to the marriage core. You're so right, Jim, as we careen down to the end of time, whatever that is, what do we read about? A big celebration. That's a marriage supper. It's called the marriage supper of the lamb. And if you go to the book of Revelation, you don't hear about this is a fathering uh, camping trip or a daughter take her out. No, this is the marriage. So marriage is key. Uh, in, in a Catholic mindset, this is what's so good. Marriage is considered a vocation. What? A vocation. When I was in Poland teaching on fathering, I absorbed uh, in Poland, even the cows are Catholic. I mean, this is a Catholic place, but they said marriage is a vocation. That's like a job. Oh, my gosh, a calling, a vocation. And when you make that a vocational choice of highest priority, everything else, your fathering and family well-being, you're in, all those things fall into place. You know, you said something that triggered something I've never thought of, Ken. Our target, we target men in the stress bubble of life, raving, raising kids. That's our that's our target audience. But you said something. You said, give your wife a rest. And that really inspired me that, guys, your wife is in the stress bubble. 
She needs you to give her respite. When you get home from work, she needs you to take charge and give her rest. Make sure, guys, make sure your women are rested and fresh and able to be their best version in the stress bubble as well. So in the stress bubble as well. So let's move on to secret six. Secret six is, and I know the men are going to cringe when they hear it because I know how us guys are. Yep. Put on those elephant ears, active listening. And you, you say this, I love what you said. I'm just going to read one short phrase on page 157. A home can be a noisy place. I'll let you address that. Well, the fact that you have kids in the home, it's not going to be quiet anymore. And if you have more than one kid, uh, it's going to get noisier and noisier. That's why you need to turn off the interfering noise, the television, the uh, uh, app, uh, anything that is distracting you because the noise drowns out what's most important. Now, we learn, too, that active listening is a posture. It isn't like, you know, hey, hey, I got you covered, but, oh, yeah, let me, you know, like this, uh, or you all end up at the table and you, you all got your devices and you're checking in like that. No, the eye and the attentiveness is called accurate, active empathy. That's what happens when you look at people eye to eye. I tell a story about being in a nursing home, taking care of an elderly lady. Uh, I was her actual conservator till she died at 103. I met her at church. She didn't. Uh, her husband had died earlier, estranged from her kids. And so here I am, Jim, and I learned what active listening was. Because when you get this age, okay, you guys, Ramos may be here, but don't tell him. You, you get down to 10 big stories, okay, the big 10. And so you tell them over and over. And, and so I had heard all of her stories until one day I, I heard this one story over and over. And, you know, you kind of get bored. So you look uh, uh, over here. And, and then I looked at her and I listened like I'm listening and looking at you now, Jim. And she told me details about her life story I had never heard. That wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have been an active, engaged listener. That's the way our kids are. They need that activity in order to bring them to life. Uh, so, so based on all that, Ken, you talk about several fathering activities, you call them, uh, about uh, to help us engage in active listening. You talk about showing affection, knowing your child, and motivation. Can you talk us through that? Yeah. Okay. This listening, this gift of listening, it's, it's why it, God inhabits the praises of his people. He yeah. listens to them. It brings him joy. He inhabits them. Your children, when they are listened to, will open up the depth of their heart in ways they don't get when they're listening and taking notes at school, when they're listening to other directives at work. When they go and do this, when there is a father who is actively engaged in listening to their child, it brings both their emotional, their cognitive, and their empathetic uh, system to the forefront. And, you know, engaged fathers who are active listeners, Jim, have children who have higher measures of empathy. And people have said, well, I thought that's what moms did. No, no, no. They took 
and separated two groups in a controlled group. When fathers demonstrated empathy and listening, those children surfaced. It was expected that mothers do that, but when fathers did it, it added an additional factor that made them more empathetic in the way they live. So it's a, a preparation for this world to be a listener to those children God's given you stewardship over. Well, it goes back to what, what a, a mantra I say all the time, when a man gets it, everyone wins. So true. You know, I look at my three sons. I've got one who just wants to have an active dialogue back and forth. I have one that wants to have a calm planning. He's always a planner, planning discussion. And one of my sons will not answer any questions I ask him. I just, unless I sit there quietly with him in relationship, and then he'll talk and talk and talk. So that active, so he responds to the space of active listening, right? And so that is because he's used to a dad who's a pastor who's, you know, pontificating. And so I've had to unlearn some behaviors. So let's talk about this pontificating pastor. So secret number seven is spiritually equipping. <clears throat> now, uh, I think a mutual friend of ours, Brian Doyle, ha has shared with me that he never tells men what he did as a father to spiritually equip his kids because he's a professional Christian like I am, and he he said that we could overwhelm men. So what's the danger? We talk about spiritually equipping. What's the danger of, of our men listening relying solely on the reports of their pastors, spiritual leaders, and guys that wrote books? What's the danger there that could possibly paralyze them from stepping into this role in a more powerful situation? Well, I don't see it as a danger like Brian or you, Jim, giving guidance. I think it's one beggar or one father trying to find his way and telling the successes and failures. Now, I'm telling you, this is a place when I screwed up that that was so interesting. So I thought the thing to do, because I didn't grow up in a Christian home, okay? So when I came to Christ, I was like, whoa, what's up with this? And then I got married, have children. And so I was kind of over the top. I wanted to make sure the things that set me free from the addictive behavior, drugs, and the stuff uh, that I was living in was really a part of my kids' lives. So I'm reading on a Sunday afternoon. I said, hey, I want to read to you out of the Bible. Okay. So Sunday afternoon, the kids. So I tried to be really animated, you know, and so I'm just going on and like this. And so I'm thinking that, you know, you guys better listen to me because this is really important. This is the holy word of God. Da, 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 da. So I'm reading in Acts chapter nine, where Paul is on his way to Damascus. All of a sudden, this light came down, knocked the boy off, you know, the, the donkey or whatever he was riding. And lo and behold, he became blind. And I Looked at everybody. Okay, what happened right there? Okay, yeah, it got knocked down. And isn't that interesting? And I started to apply. And and then my daughter, who was like eight years old at the time, said to me, and dad, that was really cool how God used a laser. <laughs> and I'm looking at it, you know, as literalist. I'm reading, well, uh, where uh, it says the light. And she just straight back looked at me and said, Dad, there were a lot of people traveling. Paul was the only one that was blinded. And I'm like thinking, oh my gosh. So sometimes you literalizing things or trying to get your truth through can be trumped 
by the inside of your children. So this is the thing. Our children will help guide us spiritually. Now, I'm not saying they're the ones that are the theological, you know, leaders of your house. I'm not saying that. When it comes to the spiritual life, no doubt Jesus loved the children because he was weary of dealing with all the stuff the adults was laying on him all the time. And so, you know, I learned then that this one particular daughter I had, she had a prophetic insightful gift. Oh, my goodness, which is still in play and active today in her family and even in our relationship. Uh, Other children were different. They were quiet, and I couldn't pressure them to do behavior-wise what I thought they should do. They had to experience a little of going out of the boundaries, and then I'm forced with saying, okay, got to extend some grace here. And, and I'm just like, what? How could they do this? Now, it wasn't anything life-changing, but it's just those things that you go through in your spiritual formation and adolescent behavior that just kind of, you know, is com- discombobulating. Yeah, that's, that's a powerful statement. You know, you wrote in your book, you warn guys not to be paralyzed by a sense of inadequacy caused by comparison to others. And I think it's really important for these guys to identify the next step for them and not to not to compare themselves to somebody who could set a bar so high they can never never cross it. So one of the things I do, Ken, is I uh, you know I, I'm constantly pushing on our guys, right? We've got about 250,000 guys that falls every week. And a, a vast majority of those guys, more and more we're seeing guys that are not attending a local church. So to me, that is problematic in the context of fathering. And you talk about practical tips uh, listed when you're spiritually equipping your kids, and a lot of these have to do with uh, being involved in a local, people don't like to hear the word church, so I say a local community of believers or a local fellowship of believers. Why is a, a father being committed to and leading his family into this local fellowship or community of believers? Why is this so important to spiritually equipping our kids? Oh, it's vital because there are certain things you can't do. For instance, in a healthy situation, you should have grandparents, aunts and uncles and so forth. But we're geographically disconnected. So where do they go to get that extended family? I know of no other place. You don't get it on the baseball team, the volleyball team, the dance lessons, the music lessons. You don't get multi-generational expression except in a place like a local church. So it's a no-brainer that you should be an active participant. And and there are blessings. If it's an, a, a local church that has activities that benefit uh, the whole family or parts of the family, that's good. There reached a, it was a time in, when I was raising kids, they were we were going to three different churches. Uh, they had friends going to this church because the action was there. I said, dude, do it, go. And, and vice versa. And then, sure, we gather at special times, but you have to, I think, uh, be, be very open-ended. The, the thing that's so critical as you as a dad is just to cultivate your own faith and out of the overflow of that, allow that to extend to your children. I like that, the overflow. You know, for me, I think when I talk to guys that aren't involved in a local church, I think of this. Okay, are your kids seeing you? give 
to kingdom-oriented causes? Are they watching the checks pass? In a church, they do. Are they are they watching you raise your hands in worship? In a church, they are. Are they watching watching you put on the servant's towel and serve? You know, there are certain things. Are they watching you flip through the pages of your Bible as the preacher preaches and taking notes in the in the provided notes in the church bulletin? These are things that guys don't understand who have rejected the local church. And I I will never stop pushing because I think the local church is a critical component for us as dads to get support within the stress bubble, to have an intergenerational context of people ministering to our children, uh, having uh, uh, different ethnicities, different demographics. I mean, the church is the place where we all go to worship God. I think it's so good. Well, hey, Kent, man, we are we are out of time, but I want to go back through here, and I, I just love this episode. You talk about your seven secrets, commitment, knowing your child, consistency. And now here's, I do have a question, though, because in yeah. your book, now listen, I was in Seattle airport coming back from a speaking event in California, and I, w- I read this, that there's an eighth secret. And I yeah. was like, what is the eighth secret? So, so I know the book is the seven secrets, but can you just help help a weary traveler here? <laughs> okay. What is the eighth secret? Okay. This is from a statistician, a researcher who's okay. crunched numbers <laughs> on tens of thousands of dads, literally, Jim, sponsored random samples written both scientifically and popularly. And it's this. I don't freaking know. When you get your own fathering, for the Ramos family, it may be, Uh, a fishing boat on the back of the truck uh, full of gas and it's let's go do this. It may be something unique. The eighth secret is like the eighth wonder of the world. You know, we've all identified the historic hanging Babylon, uh, hanging gardens in Babylon, Egyptian pyramids, et cetera, et cetera. The eighth secret, you know it guys, because when you became a dad, The fact that you held that child or at the adoption, you said, I am taking legal responsibility for this child or even in a foster situation. That is the eighth secret of the world. And God's stuff that this researcher is going to follow and listen to because that's God's handiwork in your life. That's so powerful, man. I appreciate it. Commitment, knowing your child, consistency, protecting and providing, loving their mother, active listening, spiritual equipping. And for number eight, can I just use the word, it's a mystery? You got it. Mystery of life or something like that. So, Matt, Ken, thanks so much. This has been, we went a little bit over today, guys. This has been outstanding. Uh, You are going to use this as a great uh, foundation for you to be not good dads, but great dad. So Ken, thanks so much for coming on the show. Sure. Appreciate it, man. And just let me say for men in the arena, you go to fathers.com. It's simple at the top. You got a free seven secrets profile. You can take get feedback that is objective and also have your wife and older child or a good buddy take on you because us being the best as we can be is the difference maker and why our life on earth is so important. Keep up the good work. I appreciate that, guys. Go on Ken's website, take care of that, and become your best version of a dad. Thanks, Jim. That was outstanding, Ken. So, men, what is next? What next step will you do to become the man that God has called you to be, more so to become the father 
that you are called to be? What one thing can you do to go to the next level? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to identify these seven secrets of manhood. The seven secrets are commitment, knowing your child, consistency, protecting and providing, loving their mother, active listening, and spiritually equipping. Identify one of those that needs your most attention. Make a goal and do the next best thing. Ken, thanks so much for coming on to share your wisdom and your many, many years of experience. Our men in the arena are blessed because of you. So thanks so much for coming on our show. Hey guys, our man laws are supplied by you, our heroes. This week's man law is man law number 21. And it says this, know how to sharpen all cutting edges in your possession. Life rule is this. If you do not know how to use it, you should not own it. So if you don't know how to use a tool in your, in your arsenal, man, you guys should not own it. So that's the life rule. Keep your tools sharp. And guys, make sure you head on over. Uh, if you aren't already following the Men in the Arena podcast, make sure you subscribe to our podcast app. That helps us go up the charts so we can impact more men for Jesus Christ. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And... Be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.